0: Hey Broadway fans, we are back for a second week of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. This week we're talking the film, how it differs from the musical play, and how the Broadway play maybe differs from the original and the film. We also have a special guest, so don't go too far.
1: Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring
0: movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown.
1: I love this song.
0: This is like, at the end of the show, because when I saw it, I didn't, like, everyone started putting their hands up right away, and I was like, what's everyone doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then they started saying the lift of your hands, I was like, oh, I get it, we're supposed to do this, yeah. But that's like part of the magic of the show, and that's why it's like, I love, like, I just love feeling like I'm actually at a concert where everyone's just doing their own thing. Yeah um hi everybody thank you for joining us on this in la at least kind of warm windy sunday afternoon yeah sag awards are tonight a lot of stuff going on in la today uh but we are here like i said talking hedwig and the angry inch film version i'm your host brianna phipps you can find me at bfips 14 on twitter and instagram bfips 1214 on snapchat And we, of course, have the lovely Jackie next to me. One, two, three, Jackie, be on all platforms. And we have a very special guest joining us today. We have Jeffrey Fargo. Hi.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming. Where can they find you guys? Um, Jeffrey, you said Instagram, right? Yeah,
2: I'm on Instagram if someone is interested in looking at some pretty pictures, you know? Everybody, yeah, we all love pretty Some not some pretty pictures sometimes, you know, (laughs) under intoxicating (laughs) circumstances. (laughs) Yeah, follow me on Jeffrey. I'm Jeffrey Fargo at Instagram.
0: Great. Um, you guys will have to excuse me today. I'm, like, on that tail end of a cold where, like, the cough just won't go away, so my voice is very... And Brianna comes to us straight raspy. from the emergency it's room, sensual. so... It's beautiful.
1: she gets She gets props for being, like, the biggest the show must go on
0: trooper ever. <laughs> hey, we're all theater majors here, right? Well, it's I true. Am. I don't remember a time ever being with the show couldn't go on. <laughs> Even if you don't show up, someone else will take your place, right? It's good. Dog eat dog world in theater slash film.
1: Slash film.
0: Um, so, Jeffrey, I want to talk before we get into the movie a little bit about your time, because you played Hedwig. I did. Um, and you said you played it at Hamburger Mary's in West Hollywood, right?
2: Yeah, I did it for um, a, about four years. Uh, we would do it annually there. Um, Hamburger Mary's, West Hollywood and Long Beach. We did both of those locations. We kind of do a weekend and do you know, a few shows at each of those locations over the course of a weekend. And, uh, yeah, it became, you know, popular, so we continually did it, and it was, it was a great deal of fun, um, I was happy to do it, happy to kind of, it was always something that I loved, the show, and, um, so having a chance to kind of put it on and, and do it was really exciting Stepping and the fun. the shoes, does it work? Yeah.
1: Did you do drag before you did this role? No, not at all. And so, how did you, like, how, who did your makeup? Did you do your makeup?
2: I had, uh, luckily, you know, coming from theater, you know, we, as theater folk, have all of these great resources and friends, talented friends that are willing to, thank God, especially when we're young, do things for free. Yeah. So I had, I had that. I had, you know, a great friend that was doing my makeup initially, and actually her brother um, was the original band. Uh, He kind of led the band. He had a band. They were fans of the musical, so it kind of worked out. Just having all these people come in and put put on a show, it was it was that you know um, mentality of, of let's all get together and put on a show, and it just happened to work out well. But no, um, never drag before No, Just just an actor, not a not a drag. But I think that lent that works for the show.
0: Oh, it does because Absolutely. it's not a show about. No, Neil Patrick Harris never did drag before
2: before I think it's also
0: just like a fun thing to kind of step into and learn kind of take that persona of like being like the feminine and the woman kind of thing and putting that on I think as actors it's always great to keep growing and do stuff that we have never done before and like you learn stuff and like you then identify better and you have like a little more sympathy towards maybe a different gender or, or sexuality of people
2: Definitely. I mean, it's much much more appealing as an actor to be doing something that is not familiar to me. Uh, But the number one thing that drew me to the show was, I mean, I I was a huge fan of the film, but character wise, the character, this isn't someone that was dealing with, you know, gender issues. It wasn't a boy that was growing up that I want to be a girl. Right this was a boy that so wanted to find love that he was willing to go through these steps, these things to get love. He thought the only way that he was going to find or be loved was to make this huge transition, Mm -hmm. this choice, but it wasn't, you know, someone setting out to become a woman.
0: Yeah.
1: And I do think part of it too, we talked about, we, because we talked specifically just about the play last week and we're going to highlight the film this week, but, um, For me, part of it too is that escaping, uh, escaping communist Germany, um, making these decisions because you're like, okay, well, not only do I want love, but they're telling me if this is my only chance to leave, is to have this operation. So I agree with you. It's like it's not necessarily making a decision. Based on feeling that you're the other gender, it's making this decision like I am in this particular circumstance. Yeah,
2: I think that why that's why it resonates with so many people across different.
0: I also you know. think that once Hedwig uh, came to America and like had been living as a woman and stuff, the persona of who they were kind of worked better. Like, you know, like on stage, like wise, like when they if they were performing a show, like as like I'm just sorry, I'm, t- I'm talking weirdly, but it's a be- like if Hedwig was actually performing a show then his, pers- his her personality would resonate better dressed as a woman, I feel, than a man sometimes to people. like That might have been a decision that it's interesting made to you stay say, dressed it's, as a woman. It's interesting yeah. you
1: say that because uh, John Cameron Mitchell was saying that when they went on, and I'm trying to figure out, I think it was Letterman, yeah, it was Letterman, that um, he was doing, uh, I, I actually don't think it was Midnight Radio, but it was a different song where he was going to tear off his wig at the end, and the people at Letterman told him, don't do that. And he still did it, but they cut it. And his best interpretation of that was that maybe Letterman, the audience, just wanted them to see this as a woman. They didn't want to have that whole feeling of, oh my gosh, this is a guy dressed as a woman and what kind of implications, which is the whole point of the movie. So I was, you know, it's like, why, why go on Letterman if you're not going to let the people perform the way they want to perform? Yeah, that's a strange thing. Like, as yeah. I was
0: talking about, like, Hedwig maybe just chose to stay dressed as a woman because... It was better with the persona they were portraying, but like that is a whole different thing of like,
1: yeah, you're you're basically <laughs> censoring the film, so it was or the person's performance, which it's like, why do it at all? You yeah. know,
2: yeah. I think coming from that type of you know, well, that time period, even though it wasn't that long ago, and that audience too. I know it's David it crazy? Letterman audience.
1: We're talking you about two thousand. Kind of you know,
2: yeah. you can kind of disguise maybe. What all the movie, the film, or the play is about by just saying, "Well, this is a pretty song." Yeah, you know, it's this character singing this pretty song. <laughs> then you remove the wig with and,
0: all of this makeup and wig yeah. and crazy outfits. Yeah, it's just singing a beautiful song. What's something
1: you learned, like about yourself, or that you learned from doing the role?
2: Um, I think. Well, I think we all we all relate to that, and I think it goes back to what I was saying about. You know, how it's not a story about a, a transgendered individual. It's it's a story about someone trying to find love. And I think, you know, the, the film version was what made me, I was originally aware of the story through the film first. I didn't know about the play until after the film. But I think it's interesting because I see the whole story as being that search to find that other half, you know, as they go through an origin of love and, and that whole Plato symposium being, you know, put into music and we're all just like looking for our other half and trying to you know be whole. And that's something that is is true for most of us today. Most of us still, when you're talking to us, you know, yeah I've got to find my, my other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think especially when the film came out, it was, I still remember in you know, the kind of that Jerry Maguire esque, you know, feeling of, You you complete me. Yeah, was so big around then. Yeah, I mean, we
0: all no no none of us want to walk through the world alone. We're all kind of craving that find someone to help us through this world.
2: But so much of that message, you know, we get to the end, and it's I'm I'm whole in and of myself. Yes, that's not about finding someone to complete me. It's you know, that's great relationship
0: advice. You can't be open to being with someone else unless you're okay with who you are.
1: Yeah,
0: so you know. Life lessons to learn to yeah, the theater definitely.
1: all the time. It's so true though because I remember um, I, I said this last week that I uh, I had rented the video from my college library several times because I couldn't afford to play a video at the time. But um, I do remember crying when watching both the um, the origin of love scene and then the end scene because just for those reasons, it's like it's something we all can relate to wanting to find you know your other half and then again it's also something that you can relate to knowing that you have the power within yourself to to love
0: yourself and to be strong because of that as well yeah um transitioning a little bit towards the show i want to kind of go over some of the differences between the musical and the film uh because we have these flashbacks. So instead of it being a person telling their story in their eyes, which it still is, but we're seeing flashbacks of what happened, what was going on, um which is, you know, I don't think as a film it would have worked for just to be like the show was, to just have no. someone on a stage talking Film about audiences their story.
1: will not, you know, <laughs> they're not going to pay, they're not going to pay attention, they to one person talking with a band backup for that
0: long. No. Yeah, it doesn't translate as well into film. But do you think that there was, like... What do you think kind of was, like, lost in that translation, and what do you think kind of the film gained? Like, what do you think we got out of it that we couldn't get out of the play and that we get from the play that we kind of lost with the film? Do you feel like there's anything?
1: Personally, I don't feel like there... I don't feel like there's anything lost because of the difference in the mediums. So I feel like it's, if you try to, if you try to do the reverse, like illustrate the play, that would not have worked as a play. But if you also tried to have a person monologuing with a band backup as a movie, I don't think that would have worked either. So I think for the medium, I don't think there's anything lost in translation because you have to make that translation for the medium. And for me, again, this is now knowing that you saw the movie first too, which I saw the movie first as well. Um, not only do I love John Cameron Mitchell's performance like it's so uh, he has such a way of being relatable to I feel like anybody who's watching it there's something that makes you feel for Hedwig as you're as you're watching it um but also I think that for me it was fun to see like what he looked like as a little boy in Germany it was fun to see what like Luther actually looks like and Michael Pitt oh my gosh he is so gorgeous, and still to this day, even when I've seen the live play, when when uh, Hedwig's calling backstage or into like yell at him and mm-hmm. like opening and tax opening the door so we can hear the music, I still picture Michael. Definitely Michael. Pitt. Yes, I still picture him because like I remember him being so gorgeous, and I was like, "Ooh, good choice, Hedwig. He's very cute," you know.
0: Well, it's crazy because the play or not the play, the film. Usually, like with films like this, you wouldn't think critics would love it. Critics loved it. It bombed at the box office. It bombed at the, the box office. It, yes, uh, it made three point six million dollars. It cost six million to make. So, for those of you that but it, but it have was money hit. out there that know how budgeting is, that's you don't want to lose that much money on it a, a film. But it was a hit
1: at Sundance. It, it won was. Uh, best and it's director become, and audience award. And
0: it's become a huge cult classic. Which I feel like cult classics, you know, you'll have hit movies and they're a hit for a year, but. Like Rocky Horror Picture Show, this movie, Labyrinth, stuff like
1: that oh, people do classic. shadow. Cast. You'll see those, yeah.
0: like fifty years from now, yeah. and they'll still be relevant. People will still be watching them. People do shadow
1: cast the headway. Like. It's it's true.
2: Yeah, I think and you know, I think it's a beautiful film. I think he did a great job of of you know transitioning, translating it from stage to mm-hmm. to screen. I think it's it's all there.
0: So do you think that the reason it may have bombed the box office is just people weren't willing to go see a film about? Someone dressed up as a different gender or something that as controversial as having a sex change operation, yeah.
2: Without like a, a point of reference, you know, y- you say this, you know, transgender rock star or wannabe rock star. I don't think it speaks to a lot of people, especially in 98 or you yeah. know, when the film was, I think, or 2000, 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001, 2001. When the film came out, it, it doesn't really speak to anyone unless it. It has some reference, you know, unless it's, you know, a real life event or something that they can, they can really, you know, gravitate towards or or relate to. And I don't think, yeah, most people were ready for that or Mm -hmm. interested in it.
1: And piggybacking on that, I think that it, I don't know how like the press, like press is always a big deal in these things, getting, getting the word out. And um, for me, I didn't know that this movie existed until it was on a DVD in my library and a friend told me about it, you know. So you have the you have people who are ready and willing to watch it and have literally just not heard of it. Yeah. So I, think I mean, that's... I hadn't
0: heard of anything of it until it was on the Tony Awards with Neil Patrick Harris. And right. then I learned that there was a movie and that it had originated before then from that. Right. But I had no idea. And because it, was...
1: it started off... Off-Broadway, and then it went to the West End. So if you were an American who was probably open to that, you you might not have known about it, you know, unless yeah, it's I, word of mouth
2: You know, similar to you, my, my first experience was DVD, was the film, and that was only after a friend had told me about it, said, you, you should watch this. And I I remember having seen it, like, in a blockbuster and just passing by, I remember thinking, that's an interesting, I can still remember that cover like thinking that's an interesting cover what is that about but never actually going to see it and being gay and coming from theater still not had no clue or never heard of Hedwig as a show it was only after the film that I you know
1: when you look at the cover it's I mean the cover speaks to obviously the character it's like you have this Rock and roll singer shouting on the cover, but you're not necessarily knowing that that's a man in drag. Yeah,
2: it's very just like glam rock. It has a very
0: like David Bowie esque feel to the cover. Right. Like a lot of his old record albums and how he would dress. That's what I got from it, which makes sense since they referenced a lot of the music on his. So yeah,
1: even as much as I love the cover art, it's like, it's still, you
0: wouldn't know what it was about just looking at it. It's not something that goes like, hmm. I should go watch that. That looks like an interesting... It's kind of like the same with books. Like, I choose a book sometimes based on its cover. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, what book do I... I don't know, have any reference of what this book is about, but that cover looks interesting. I'm going to go read it. Yes. So I've unfortunately, done Unfortunately, I, I read done Twilight.
1: <laughs> the, the book covers of Twilight are very cool, <laughs> I will
0: say. I thought it was about Snow White, obviously, honestly. Cause mm-hmm. of the... it, it does right. look like that. It does look like that. <laughs> um, and then in the film, we have much more of this stalker feel... Of of her going after Tommy, because we are literally following him around the country with her great agent. Because I love Audrey, yeah. I love Adri- Andrea Martin so much. Ever since my big fat Greek wedding, I've been obsessed with her, and I've watched so much of her film. But so I'm glad she's in this. But well, we it's get... just
1: weird that she, you have a Tony Award winning
0: actress who doesn't sing. Sing right. <laughs> but she uh, she's kind of hel- helping
1: Hedwig. Yeah
0: follow Tommy because it's going to get Hedwig better press better well she's doing it I think to get a photo because we know that I think that's part of it I think they want the photo but I also think that this story coming out of Hedwig saying that he stole the music and having him be in the same area might get more people to go see his show I don't know that's what I, I thought I got both I think that they were trying to do kind of a both thing and yeah. also, I think Hedwig wasn't ready to let go of Tommy at all. Oh, that's for sure. Most definitely,
1: yeah. yeah. That's for sure.
0: Um, sometimes the stalkering I, I could have, like, done it without, like, like, the scene at the mall... I was like, oh, I, uh, I didn't need that scene.
1: The scene I like, the stalkery scene I like, is when they're at, what was it, like Mensa Fest or whatever? Oh, yeah. They're yeah. at Mensa Fest, and you have the one woman, and you, but you can hear his band, like, way off in the distance, and Hedwig's just, like, come, come in and sit down, and I'll tell you this story. I
2: love those, yeah, I think the cinematography in the film is beautiful in those moments. Yes. Or like that, where it's just the picture is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um yeah.
0: I liked the opposite stalker like when he came up in the limo. Yeah. And she was like, "What?" That yeah. I liked that. I liked it when it was reverse and he was like almost stalking her. Right. Cuz he knows that she's there and he also cuz you know, it's his inner demons that he has to deal with. It's not he still has this love for her and wants to be with her but can't because he doesn't want the world to know that he's this way. Right. So he
1: has this inner closeted Christian Thing that he's still working working so, with yeah know?
0: so I definitely think the film had me understand Tommy better than from the show version because the show version is just us hearing and so seeing kind of gives me that grip with him
2: yeah one of the things especially you know being introduced to the film first then wanting to do the play one of the things in producing the play and, and trying to put it on the fear was is this going to make sense like if if and obviously it worked someone did it before Some, you know John Cameron Mitchell was very successful with doing it but it it does even reading the script of the play that is that is the thing is trying to make it all make sense because mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of all over the place in in you know it's one almost one man basically telling the story and, and almost being every other character and when I went and saw you know, the tour just recently at the Pantages, I was I went with two girlfriends that had never seen the show. And that was something that I was worried about, too. It was like they, they had no knowledge of the show at all. Were they going to understand it?
1: Mm. Well, they have the difference because I saw... The first time I saw Hedwig as a play, I saw it in, like, a small Baltimore, like, dinner theater. So you have to work harder as an actor when you don't have all the projections. And, you know, there was a car on the set of uh, um, of the, the Pantages, Pantages version. One. And so y- maybe you can speak to this because Hamburger Mary's has that one small stage. So it's like, what do you do to really get the audience into your story and to make them understand the things that are going on?
2: I think... Um... See, and I think that's where the show is so powerful. I was afraid when they were talking about going to Broadway that all of that would be lost. Right. And I I you know, this was my first time seeing this production of it with Darren Chris. And I loved it. I saw it three times here at the Pantages. <laughs> but I do think there still is that bit of intimacy that is lost in what makes the show so powerful and what makes it work. I think they did a fantastic job. It is powerful in that space. It is powerful being that big. But what I loved about doing the show and when I had seen the show done by others in the small space where it's kind of intended to be is that intimacy. There are all of these small, quiet moments where Hedwig is telling these stories, and it feels real. And, um, you know, looking at footage, you know, I didn't have the privilege of seeing John Cameron Mitchell do it live, but looking at footage of him doing it initially.
0: Yeah. there's so, There was like a taped version of him doing it on stage.
2: Yeah. He is brilliant at telling stories and he's just sitting there, you know, no big sets, no big lights. And knowing that stillness, you know, knowing those moments of just silence, even with the audience is so powerful. There's so much in those, in those stories and there's so much hurt in that character that I think sometimes is lost in this huge production that's going on yeah. right now.
0: I think the only like saving grace for it is that we still have Hedwig talking with the audience, playing off of them going into the audience. I think that's the only thing that makes it still work as a big production.
2: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I love the show, and I love it in this in this way. You know, go see it if you can. But there is something special about 50, 100 people and one actor and mm. just being completely quiet and still and, and getting something. There are those moments in the play that I think are kind of lost in this one where you where you get that Hedwig is doing a joke right now, but it's not a joke. It's It's to cover up this incredible hurt.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things that I actually disliked a little bit about the film was him performing in all these, like, diners and stuff and having all these people around that are not paying any attention. Like, I got what they were trying to convey, but I, that's what I loved about the play was, like, everyone just kind of zoned in on him. Yeah. And... But,
1: uh, but in, if you're doing it in a venue like Hamburger Mary's, that is what you have. No,
0: I know. I yeah. get that. That is but exactly
2: what is going on. And it actually... But I got it,
0: mad. I wanted the patrons <laughs> in, the, in the shop. Yeah. I'm like, stop eating. Like, listen to this person. But see, yeah. and that's the beauty of it's
1: like It's like art imitating its own story because Hedwig is that person who's going into the small venues and having to perform for the people who are just not paying attention it really
2: in the film emphasizes that you know hurt and I would do the show and there would be times when there would be you know a handful of people coming to see it or there would be times when there would be drunk people or people talking in the middle of the show but I loved it. It lends itself to the show. It, it you know, then you have something to ad lib about. I had two kind guys of, fight right in the middle. Of,
0: I was just about to say, with a show like Hedwig, it's. That, I, I think it's easier when people are interrupting you because yeah. you can call them out on it. I
2: think there are plenty of times when people had no idea what they were walking into because I'm doing it <laughs> in a bar, um, basically. And yeah, and guys would fight, and it'd be like, "Oh, yeah, don't fight over me," you know. And <laughs> like, but it, it lends itself to that environment. It gives you what really should be within that theater experience. Like this is a real person right here, right now. And mm-hmm. we're experiencing this with them.
0: No, right, you guys are making me really want to go see it in a small theater, not too I want to see what the like the emotional difference that, that I would get.
1: I really uh I remember when I saw it in that dinner theater in Baltimore, I was in the front row and that scene where Hedwig uh is talking about listening to the music in the oven. Um and I felt like Obviously there are other people there but it's that feeling that you're like this person is telling the story right to me mm-hmm. and this is a very very powerful and emotional story you know and plus a person I had I'd grown up in Germany and I've said this before but like that it hit me on like all these kinds of
0: levels Yeah.
2: Yeah, again I love the current tour. I love the film. I think this story is best and most powerful uh, when it's in the most non-theatrical setting bar, someone's backyard, whatever, when it's th- this character really there with you.
1: Do you have uh did you have a lot of opportunities to ad lib because I do know like you're watching the movie and they're using a lot of the ad libs in the film that they they do use in the um play.
2: Yeah, all over the place. And John John Cameron Mitchell in the script version says, you know, to everyone producing this in the future, this is written as a template, basically. And, you know, it's, the script version is written with references to what he did initially and the place that he's in initially, the Chain Street Theater. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, you you have to make changes. You have to be where you're at, and Tommy has to be somewhere down the road. But then, in addition to that, all over the place, especially because, I mean, personally, my production, we were always in a bar, so... There was always, like I said, something that wasn't right. Um, and also, you know, we were setting up almost immediately and then doing the show with not much prep, and so technical issues happened. But again, this is the perfect show for that, because anything that's happening right there is fine.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talking a little bit more about Hedwig's relationships, because we do have Yitzhak, who's the other person that's prominent in the play. Um, And in the film, we have Yitzhak played by um, Miriam Miriam Shore, Shore. uh, who does a brilliant job, also has amazing facial hair. Yeah, (laughs) really. Beautiful (laughs) makeup. Beautiful (laughs) makeup. Beautiful makeup
2: all around in that film.
0: Yes, really. Um, But Yitzhak in this one, in the film, as opposed to the play because you know you don't have you, you see the resentment but you don't have as much playing off of each other in the film and um, I love this whole sub story about Rent, rent. <laughs> I just love it <laughs> I noticed it before like he, he went he goes to try out for Angel because I just keep seeing Rent on and he shirt, had a shirt and posters Yitzhak uh, like has a Rent shirt on in yeah, the beginning yeah. it's just rents everyone on. like Rent came out what 97 or 98 96 I think 96 it was around that it area. was around that time. so it makes sense like it was a huge show and now it's doing all these smaller things. Well, it was things. a huge show for the LGBT
1: community, and then so uh, Headwood became this, so it makes sense to... To incorporate to, it. ...keep
0: referencing Rent. We're discussing Rent um, later on. Um, in February March. or March. February or March. It's, it's coming. It's uh, going to be at the Pantages, and so we're going to discuss it right that time. Um, But yeah, Yitzik, for me, in this one, I just wanted a little more. I want... Because, like, you you have in the play, and you, you know that... His character is not supposed to, you know, it's just there for the comic relief or for the backups or for the breaks and stuff. And so for the film, I, like, wanted, like, she did a great job because I wanted to know more about this character and where he came from.
1: Well, you guys know that, I mean, this is the beauty of theater is that when you go in to do a play, you're, you have to, if your character doesn't have everything laid out for you in the script, where Hedwig has all these things that you can draw from. Yitzhak really doesn't, so they had John Cameron Mitchell and um, uh, Stephen Trask had created this whole backstory for mm-hmm. Yitzhak, and um, and that way each, every actor, if they at least knew that backstory, or came up with their own backstory, they could use that to inform their character decisions, and I felt like without saying, without having to like explicitly say things, we understand mm-hmm. what that backstory is, even if it's not laid out.
0: I think it would be interesting to do a flipped version of Hedwig from six point of view.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I'd seen that John Cameron Mitchell maybe about two years ago, uh, maybe not even that long, they've been, he and Stephen Trask are, are workshopping Hedwig 2. And um, it, I think initially it's, it was set that they did a workshop that was, you know, as a, as a theater piece, but I think they're toying with doing it in different mediums. But, um, I think they're exploring, you know, more of those stories of these, of these definitely more with Hedwig, but you know, uh, I'm
0: all for that. Well,
1: because Down. it's like, we know they're immigrants. <laughs> we, I mean, we know Hedwig's an immigrant and then we know, um, the band is full of immigrants we and that Yitzhak she's extorting Yitzhak basically. And uh, that's one of my
0: favorite parts of the plays. Uh, but I, when I saw the, when he calls off stage and says it's immigration, and Yitzhak's like... Sorry. Just that is a sweet part of the fact that all these people... Because Hed, Hedvig is an immigrant, but is came here semi-legally through marriage. I don't know what Yitzhak's, like, story of, like, it, it's an illegal immigrant kind of thing. That's what I get from the play. I, I,
2: yeah, well, they're yeah. they're supposed to be married now, mm-hmm. Yitzhak and, and yeah, Hedvig. Yeah, Hedvig. Hedvig. So I, th- I think... Uh, well, I, yeah. unless
0: someone ever like was like obviously, you're I think that's not a part. Of, you, you know, can't you were be
2: yeah, you were talking about you know why continue this this female persona, and I think it's because of of that reason too. You yeah. know, she came over under the <laughs>
0: the uh, disguise the of, of, of woman.
2: A woman. Yeah, being married to uh, to Luther.
0: Um, the music in the film basically all the same. Yeah. With the exception, for me, of Sugar Daddy, which um, I realize now is the original version, but because I only knew the new version, I had this rock version in my head, and I was like, why is this country? <laughs> I was so confused for a second, and then I was like, oh, really, this was the original version, and then they just changed it for the new show. I
1: like the original version better, but that's because I've had seen that movie so many times that...
0: I like the new version, but that's also right we, we always tend to go towards what we originally know
1: yeah um, or why you originally fell in love with that it's like i originally fell in love with the film so like when you make all of these if you start making sweeping changes then i'm like no no no
2: <laughs> i like them both i like them both i i kind of get the change for the new you know broadway show it just kind of fits better yeah
0: it fits with the music and they also can do the whole big thing that they want to do with him going out into the audience. and Yeah.
1: Yeah. Doing the car wash.
0: If it was a much more light toned, like, you know, without not all the lights flashing and all this stuff, it's not as big of a spectacle. Right.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, again, going back to that intimate space, when you're in an intimate space, it's not so shocking to have those different, you know, types of music happening, but to be presenting this huge Broadway musical, and then to have this very different song, I think would kind of throw off the rhythm of mm-hmm. what was happening. I
0: think that's like a point in the show where they really want the audience to start like getting amped up for stuff that's about to happen and come. Yeah. So I think that might've been part of the reason they went with the change. Oh, I sense. like both versions too. Like you, I mean, I do lean a little bit towards the Broadway version, but the first time I heard on the soundtrack before I watched the movie, I was like, what? And it was just because I was so like, what's going on? Why is it this way? And then when I watched it, when I watched the John Cameron Mitchell footage from him doing the show live, Then I got, like, I understood it better and I started liking it better. Mm -hmm. But I agree, it wouldn't have worked in the Broadway setting that they wanted to do. Um, We do have a thing on here that we call a diva song. And it's our diva song. It's what we like love to sing about, which I have a different one now from the film. But I would Mm -hmm. like Jeffrey to know what was your favorite song to perform from the show? Like, what did you look forward to the most, I guess, every Um,
2: night? I think. See, I, it's hard. It's crazy. This is one of the few shows that I think, musical-wise, because I'm a huge musical theater fan, but I think it's one show that that's a difficult question because you all the music is fantastic. And I think um, it's it's hard when you're performing it, too, because you're not necessarily in the mindset of, all right, now it's time to sing. Let me have my moment. It's, it's very, you know, it's it's very much like this is the emotion that's happening right now. This this is where I'm at in my head right now. Um, but I, I don't know. I think the most powerful and most beautiful song, I think, for me is, is maybe Midnight Radio is what I have to, you know. But it, I mean, it's hard. I think, you know, I love Wicked Little Town. I think Wicked Little Town and... Um, and, um, and Origin of Love are kind of, you know, close. Okay. Second, third. But you can there's have more than one. That's okay. <laughs> all of them. All of them. I mean, <laughs> so
0: we, we break all the time. We're like, I'm not choosing. If, yeah. if
2: I'm singing in the shower at the top of my lungs, it's probably midnight radio. And so, and I think it goes back to, you know, what I love about the show. Again, I feel like that's that's the moment where Hedwig is having that, that revelation. And, and it is beautiful. It's beautiful. I was, you know, in tears watching. I think Darren Chris, his voice, what he did, he did such a great vocally job vocally with that, yeah, amazing. He and and Lena Hall, um, you know, Yitzhak in in this version, uh, amazing. It's voices. always been so
0: interesting to me because I'm from San Francisco. Um, which is where Darren Chris is from, and I have friends that went to high school. Like, I don't know him personally, but I have friends that went to high school with him, so for them, it's just so weird to have him be in this big Broadway production, and then I think one of them went to go see it, and they were just like... Like, I just remember him playing in Fiddler on the Roof at uh, St. Ignatius, and now he's, like, stripping down on this big, huge stage.
1: I, I mean, that was... I thought that was his
0: shining moment. It was. That was his shining moment. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's he did a, such he did, a beautiful moment He did moment such a show. great job with the whole show um as, as well as Lena Hall Lena Hall coming out at the end like i was just blown away by her
2: and that that whole thing of you know Hedwig coming to that realization of of you know the wig needs to continue on like it's not mine anymore mm-hmm. and realizing that everything that w- was awful and happening to to Hedwig is what you know he was doing to, Yitzhak. to Yitzhak. Yeah. There's. That everyone that. took
0: from him and he took from Yitzhak.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And allowing her to shine then.
0: Yeah. I It was an interesting choice with the movie to change, like, cause Yitzhak doesn't sing mm-hmm. the part in the movie, like at the end of the play, but to have like just this falling into the crowd and kind of crowd surfing off and. Yeah. In I, I do like, I like that moment. That was, it was like I also very love different the, but very still a like prominent moment for me. Mm-hmm.
1: I also love I know that, you know, the Broadway wig in a box has this like big drop down set number, whatever. But there's something very whimsical to me about wig in a box in the movie, and I just I just love it. I love um I love the little dancing head wig, wig over, the over the music, words.
0: over the words. That almost looks like a mustache, like a handlebar mustache. Yeah. Um also, with Midnight Radio, going back to that really fast, I just love too because I don't know because I was up in the balcony for hours and I forgot my glasses. But does Hedwig in the play also pull tomatoes out, or is that just what was in the? Was that just for the film?
2: In I don't know, I don't know if they you know it seemed like I saw it three times. I think that he did. Of course, it's really it's like heavily strobe, you know, yeah. at yeah. that moment. I don't remember it. It is in the initial production that John Cameron Mitchell did off Broadway, I always did it. Um, and it felt like for me, cause I don't know. And you know, it's not like, like explained, it's not in stage notation, but for me it feels like that it's coming from a few different things. But I think there's those references and stories of mother and, um, in the film, we kind of see that, um, And I just, I feel like it's like pulling everything out of himself and it's all of these random things Mm -hmm. that have all been tied up and mushed into this thing, you know. And in Angry Inch, you know, they have these crazy references about female anatomy that are you know not real things tits of clay and um, you know, so it's, it's like he's be, I think he's, it's
0: also important to show it wasn't a full sex change operation right yeah it definitely it wasn't implants it wasn't and it goes back to what you were saying earlier this isn't a story of a person that yeah. felt like a woman and changed into a woman
2: it's a it's a total mutilation
0: mm-hmm.
2: for love it's how it's how we all feel when you are in that situation because
0: that, that part was much more powerful for me in the film Seeing that, seeing him pull those out and like break them in front of you. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. I couldn't, if it did happen in the show, I couldn't see that. So that was, that intimacy was much more powerful for for me to watch.
2: Yeah. This yeah. Destruction. And, you know, you, we spoke of taking off the wig earlier on TV, but I know that, you know, even for the audience of the show initially, that's still a, a very dramatic thing to see someone in drag I mean you don't even see that you didn't really see that before in drag um, shows and people have kind of done that more now so since this but that that dramatic moment of taking off that that exterior mm-hmm. and just well being vulnerable
0: I don't know like I feel like there's still people that don't realize that drag queens spend a large portion of their life as men. And then right. put the drag on for certain moments. Like, There's both, but I think that there's a large portion of the people that still, they just think that this is, they dress up as a woman every day. Like, we have a, a host here that's a drag queen, and I've only seen him once in his drag. Yeah. So it is this persona, it is this facade over top of who you really are.
1: But I think it's also for Hedwig, it was like this thing that he was doing to please other people and mm-hmm. not necessarily please
0: himself. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely has I think he like grew to like love aspects of the drag. Like getting to dress up, getting to do certain things, but I don't think like it was true to who he actually was.
2: Right. I think it's like that stage persona. It's yeah. that yeah. punk rock.
0: Yeah, it's just like how if you're an actor like for me going on stage as a different character is easy and fun because I get to play somebody else, but it's not who I am. Right.
1: Right. You're doing that for a few hours, it's not it's idea. not in my whole life.
0: Yeah. So that's a whole thing because he had to spend his whole life as this other yeah. character.
2: Yeah. It goes back to, you know, being forced into it and having to do it every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. I want to mention do want to mention Stephen Steven Trask. Trask. <laughs> I was just going to do it. Stephen yeah. Trask, because we were talking, uh, last week we had a comic though we didn't mention Stephen Trask. Um, he sang, he actually
1: sang the songs for Tommy Gnosis. We got
2: hate mail.
0: <laughs> we
1: got hate mail. Just a suggestion. We get a suggestion in the suggestion box. Um, <laughs> He actually sang... He was one of the band members. Uh, that's his band that plays the Angry and, Inch. Yeah, in the uh, original
0: show and in the film.
1: Yes. And uh, he's a composer for films. And he sang the role of Tommy Gnosis. That was not Michael Pitt singing. So. Um,
0: and those for those of you that maybe don't know Stephen Trask... Um, oh, he,
1: and he got a Grammy nom for that Yeah, movie. he did. And he got
0: an OB Award. Um, but he also wrote the score for the Dreamgirls movie in 2006 uh in the land of women meet the parents meet the falkers like he's done a lot so any of these shows that are movie shows movies that you've seen like the music scores so that's him
1: yeah i mean yeah he wrote the music for this it's a big big deal it's
0: a big deal yeah
2: yeah and i think primarily i don't know if you touched on this before but i think he's really kind of responsible for putting in the direction of the sh- the show initially, yes. you know, yeah, that, that John Cameron, he and John Cameron Mitchell were kind of, you know, want to create this one man show and I want to do, you know, want to sing. And, you know, so they got together and it was really John Cameron Mitchell telling the stories and, and Stephen Trask saying that that's, you know, where we need to go with this and how what the character that we need to develop.
0: Yeah. So he's, the show wouldn't be what it is today without him. Right. So he gets owed a lot of credit for the, Yeah, a definitely. lot of things that happen in the show um since we are getting down to the end on time i would want to get into our broadway news section cuz there was some fun tidbits that happened this week for me at least
1: oh yeah and broadway con is closing this weekend so today is last day yeah so um you can go online and find the news on playbill just
0: typing broadway con and there's all kinds of stuff that comes That's up out, yeah. yeah um the most favorite one for me this week was that Elton John's going to compose for Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Musical. yes. Wow. Because I think Devil Wears Prada will make a brilliant musical. Uh,
1: also, for fans of Aida, Elton John writes good musicals. Just saying. Yeah, he wrote Billy <laughs> Elliot. He wrote Billy Elliot? The music. Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Mm. Learned something new every day. <laughs> also, Why The Lion King. King. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Um, but I, I think this will make a great show if they do it right. I, I'm expecting a lot from certain points of it. Like, obviously they have to create great costumes because you can't do a show about fashion and have subpar yeah. costumes. It has
2: to be like a runway number.
0: Yes, yes. I I need a breakdown number from um, the dragon lady. <laughs> I need her to have a breakdown number by herself and then put back on her facade. That's what I want. Um, But yeah, that's exciting and there's not much news about it besides that he's going to write the music, but I'm excited for it to come out. I'm going to New York in t- next year, so maybe they'll Yay. be developing it by then. Um, also Julie Taymor at BroadwayCon has said that she would like to make an Across the Universe musical.
1: And she directed The Lion King. Yes. Yes.
0: And I think Across the Universe would make a great musical too. It'd be very trippy. <laughs> I think that it would play with your mind a lot with some of the, I think that they could use a projector in it like they do with Hedwig. And I think that would She's work.
2: brilliant. I yeah. love all of her visuals and what she does on mm-hmm. stage and in film.
0: So I'm behind you, Julie make across the universe We're all behind you. <laughs> We're all behind you. Um, and not so much theater, but still having to do with, with musicals. musicals. La La Land has now tied for most nominations for, for the Oscars. Who had it? Titanic? Uh, it was, it's a three way tie for yeah. nominations. It's uh, Titanic and all about Eve.
1: Hmm.
0: All got 14 nominations. Um, but the, for winds, it's a tie between Titanic, Ben-Hur, and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, which have 11. So I don't know if it'll beat no, the winds like, or not. I'm not sure. I know people love this movie. I have a differing opinion I on it. I
1: haven't seen it yet.
0: So. But
1: Oh, you can also get tickets to Allegiance. Um, the, George Takei filmed his musical Allegiance, and I think in February I bought tickets and now I can't even remember what date they are on but they're all on the same date it's like some day in February okay. you can just go online and um, get movie tickets to see Allegiance
0: um, and then La La Land also sorry going back to the it, it broke the record sorry I just have one more note for most Golden Globe wins so it'll be interesting to see if it breaks the record for Oscar wins
1: it's up against some stiff competition I have to say
2: a lot of great films this year yeah
0: there are a lot of good films this year. And I do love that we're making more mu- musical theater films because when you adopt a play, obviously, like Fences. Fences, for me, read like a play. Like when I was watching the movie, I was like, this sounds like a play. This doesn't sound like a movie. But um, you don't notice as much. But musicals, people always are like, oh, theater. They don't think film as I mean, much. Chicago won a lot of nominations. No, I know. But I'm just saying yeah. like, when you see a musical theater, like a musical film, you always think that about musical theater, Broadway plays. Stuff. Yeah. It, it always, I feel like it's harder to translate musicals than it is plays into film sometimes, but yeah. this obviously is a musical first, so I don't know if they'll it's try to do a... movie first, yeah. I mean, yeah, sorry, movie. If they'll try to do a musical adaptation of I'm it. Sure I'm will. sure they will. I'm sure they will because of the success of it. Um, I don't know if LA... I mean,
1: hey, they made a... a Newsies was not a commercial success and they still made a musical about it, so...
0: <laughs> It'll be interesting, though, because I know, like, you know, New York and LA, East Coast, West Coast, there's, like... That kind of rivalry, kind of thing of it, so introducing people still a like play. Rock of Ages, no, no, you know, there's, but there's just, I just wonder if it's going to be the kind play, of like there's not some, the movie. There's going to be kind of the snobbiness of like, oh, that's an, a, a show about LA. Like, if it gets translated into,
1: I don't know about that because people really did like Rock of Ages, and that was a play entirely about Los Angeles. I think as long as you make it like heartwarming enough or interesting enough, you know, people people will see it. Yeah.
0: So let's see. it'll be interesting to see what happens with it, um, and if it wins, how many? Do you like
1: how Rock of Ages is my frame of reference yes, for so everybody. many things?
0: We're also going to so be discussing Rock of Ages later. Um, we we're going to try to find some lovers of the film so that we're not just really negative about it when we talk about it. We've talked about our distaste oh for God, the
2: film I a lot. Can't. I don't. I never saw the film. I didn't you don't
1: either to. because I like all I saw was the preview and then learned that they cut out all these roles and then and, and here's me hating on a film I've never saw, but. They cut out some of my favorite characters, and then this isn't about Rock of
0: Ages, but yeah, you will oh, stop wa- this rant to, right now. You'll have to watch it this year, though. So I
1: know. We'll see how it We'll see how much more I hate the film that I haven't seen. But... Um,
0: also, Jackie and I, if you guys live in L.A. or are going to be in the L.A. area, we just saw a great um, play. It was a series of shorts called Beckett 5. Um, a series
1: of uh, shorts written by, by Beckett. Samuel Beckett. Yeah.
0: And uh, it's playing Including at the... Including the famous Craps Last Tape, which I I really enjoyed. Um, but it's playing at the Odyssey Theater in West LA, um, right off Sepulveda. So if you get a chance to go see it, you should definitely go see it. Um, it has some wonderful actors in it, and especially the last one that she was just talking about is amazing. So um, yeah, go head over to the Odyssey Theater. A lot of interesting
1: out. avant-garde work, and not the kind of avant-garde work where you're like, oh God, no. It was like really
0: thought-provoking and it doesn't and the the more comedic pieces don't overstay their welcome which was nice like you know they keep them in this kind of frame
1: and we were I mean we had a very lively discussion about
0: what the pieces were about after so and we'd also love to hear what you think because we all had different interpretations yes so it'd be great the beauty
1: of theater everyone (laughs) has a different opinion
0: so it'd be great to see if you go see it to let us know what you thought or what you got out of it
1: I also want to mention right before we go, after this I'm interviewing Dylan Brody, who uh, is a comedian, but he's doing a sort of uh, comedy monologue one-man show, and that's what I'm going to be interviewing him about
0: next. So if you want to stay tuned, stay tuned for that. And right before we do our sign-ups, I know, uh, Jeffrey, you said you have... A play. A play coming You're up. going to yeah. be a play in a In the OC. Um,
2: yeah, in Santa Ana, this great Ooh. group that I work with in Santa Ana, Theater Out. If you haven't checked them out before, check them out. Theaterout.com. They do fantastic things, um, primarily gay, lesbian, you know, LGBTQ community playwrights and, and works. And uh, yeah, in March, beginning March 17th, a show called uh, Two Thirds Home, which is a great drama. Um, come check it out.
0: Yeah, he was telling us a little about before, and it sounds, like, really interesting. It does sound really interesting. I don't want to give too much away, but you can give him a little synopsis if you wanted to. Yeah,
2: well, it's, you know, it's about uh, these two brothers that come home to bury their mother, who has just died, and they have to confront their mother's longtime wife lover that they have spent a lifetime avoiding. And uh, just, you know, having to deal with getting rid of everything, realizing that someone else loved their mother and um, having to deal with that and uh, yeah but it's a beautiful piece come out and and see it there's no singing and dancing though you don't always need singing and And I don't I don't promise that I'll you know not wear a wig (laughs) or makeup or maybe
0: afterwards (laughs) (laughs) well me and Jackie will definitely try to get out to go see it that would be great and we would love to see some of you guys there if you're in the area come up and say hi yeah um, so that's about it for our show for today next, next week we're going to be doing I. The King and I uh, the theater show um, it's touring at the moment, it's in Seattle oh my gosh, the tour is so good so. and I
1: don't like I I don't I didn't even start liking The King and I until I saw this tour it's
0: that good um, uh, so definitely come back next week to check that out where can they find you guys one last time before we leave
2: um, if you want to take a look Jeffrey Fargo on, on uh, Instagram at Jeffrey Fargo
0: I'm one two three Jackie B and on all
1: platforms, and our Twitter is Broadway down, and you guys. And Facebook,
0: can... we're on Facebook, Broadway Breakdown on Facebook, <laughs> and <laughs> you guys can find me at bfips14 on Twitter, and Instagram, bfips1214 on Snapchat, and later tonight at eight PM West Coast time, we will be discussing Crazy Ex Girlfriend here at AfterBuzz TV, which is our sister's network. So check that out, and we will see you all next week.